How nice that is. How, how nice that is. I think there's a subliminal message there that you too can be a part of the choir. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for that. What, what a wonderful beginning to our time of worship. And we want to welcome everyone here today. It is so good to be in God's house with God's people worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And we welcome our guests today. You are very special to us. We're glad that you are here and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family. 
We want to welcome especially Tommy Tate, who is our guest uh, minister of music today. And uh, uh, they, he led a workshop yesterday for our choir and other interesting, interested parties and interesting parties. <laughs> and uh, and I understand a great time was had by by all. And uh, we will we are already experiencing some of the uh, the benefits and the fruit of that uh, that time yesterday. So welcome, Tommy and Millie. We're glad that you're here with us today. And look forward to a wonderful worship time. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Uh, Just check the appropriate box, put your name and address, phone number. And uh, if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, please uh, put your email address on there and we'll get you on that list. And um, it's a great way to uh, keep up with the activities and ministry opportunities here at Community Baptist Church. Speaking of which, I'd like to call your attention to just a few of those. Uh, immediately after our worship service today, we will be having a picnic. And what are our instructions? Do we have instructions for this? If it's not raining, we'll be outside. Okay. And we have, we're providing meats. We have hamburgers, hot dogs, and rockworks. Just go. Okay, just come on out out to the pavilion, ready to eat, and uh, and we'll just have a great time. And uh, uh, we got plenty of food, folks, and uh, we'll just have a time of sharing fellowship with one another immediately after the worship service. Also on Friday and Saturday, we will be participating in the uh, Highway 60 yard sale that's coming up. <clears throat> you should see the room back here in our children's wing that's just stuffed full of stuff for us to sell, Uh, but that does not mean that you can't still bring things for us to sell because uh, the more we have, the more we'll sell, and all the money for this goes towards our mission projects, and we're grateful for that. We have kind of a a drive during September and October to to do these things and to raise money that we can spend through the rest of the year for mission projects, and and this uh, this is an important part of that as well. Also coming up on October the 14th, Wednesday, we'll be having our blood drive. We have uh, three or four of those every year. And if you would like to uh, volunteer or to, uh, uh, to to work during the blood drive, or if you would like to uh, set up an appointment for you to give blood, then come see Jika. And I'd like to invite you to come see Jika. Jika's not feeling great today, and so she wants you to come to her. She usually comes to you. You know, Jika, she's going to run you down to get your blood. And you've heard of a come to Jesus meeting. We're coming. We're having a come to Jika meeting today. Okay, so come see Jika if you would like to uh, volunteer or to uh, set up an appointment for uh, the blood drive. And one more thing, I've been involved with a, a, an organization over the past several months. We started an organization several months ago called the Justice Coalition of Henderson, and uh, we are sponsoring a um, uh, a summit. Uh, on October the 24th. It's called Not in Our Town. It's a summit on race, poverty, and inequality. It will be at the Fine Arts Center. Uh, That's a Saturday. uh, Begins at 8.30, I believe, through through about 12.30. And Lisa Sharon Harper from Sojourners will be the keynote speaker, and there'll be some breakout sessions as well. So we invite you to come and be a part of that, if at all possible. It will be eye-opening and, uh, and beneficial to, to everyone who can be a part of that. So we invite you to be a part of that. 
It is so good to be with God's people. It's so good to share this time of fellowship with you, this time of worship with you, and, uh, and this time of sharing love. So let me invite you now to stand and let's sing our song of gathering, Wonderful Words of Life. Let us pray together. Dear God, show us the persons that you want us to be. In our joys and in our tears and in everything in between, open our hearts to your peace and love. In our coming and in our going, in our rushing and in our resting, Take us to a higher place, O God, in the good days and in the mean days, in the times of safety and times of confusion. Make us messengers of your peace and love in our wanting to control and judge. Help us to surrender these desires to you. Soften our hearts, O God. Release us from judging others in the wrongdoings of others and in our own wrongdoings. Help us to forgive and also to forgive ourselves. Keep us on your narrow path. It is so easy to lose ground. Connect us each minute, each hour, each day. 
to your ever-present guidance and love. Especially do we pray for those who are most vulnerable in our midst and in the world, those who are sick and handicapped, those who suffer from mental illness and neglect, abuse, loneliness, broken relationships, those with financial hardships and all other difficulties and losses and injustices, may all who suffer find relief. Dear God, show us the persons that you want us to be. Open our hearts to your peace and love that your light might shine in us. Amen. We pray to God to eradicate all misery in the world. We pray to God that understanding will trump, trump over ignorance. We pray to God that generosity will trump over indifference. We pray to God that trust will trump over content. We pray to God that truth will triumph over falsehood. Merciful God, you created us in our image and have called us your children. Help us to know and accept all peoples better and not despise those who live differently. We strive to walk in humility on the earth. Teach us to speak words of peace. Amen.
No, I'm not Virginia. She's under the weather today, so. All right. Reading today is from Mark 9, chapters 38 through 48. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed in power in my name will be, will, will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by, will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to hear a story about a little, what is that? An apple, about a little apple. You guys are like little apples. Oh, and what's that up there with him? See, little, he's bigger though, isn't he? There's a little apple and a big apple. The little apple clung tightly to the branch as a gentle breeze blew. An older apple, noticing the young apple's despair, chuckled and said, Looks like you're holding on to that branch for dear life, little buddy. The little apple glanced up at the older apple and said, I am. I don't want to fall to the ground. Don't you know it's hard and dusty down there? The ground is filled with worms and creepy crawly bugs. Why, just take a look for yourself. Can't you see all the rotten apples down there? Hmm. So he didn't want to fall to the ground. The older apple thought for a moment and then replied, I know you're concerned about falling from the tree, but some good things have come from the ground. That's not the life for me, retorted the little apple. I plan on being handpicked by a special family, taken to their home and placed into a beautiful fruit bowl with my shiny red skin. I shall be the most delicious looking piece of fruit in the entire bowl. The older apple replied, there is much more to being an apple than just shiny red skin. Yes, I know, said the little apple. 
One of the children will probably take me to school for lunch or perhaps have me for a snack after school. He or she will know that I am much more than just a beautiful apple with a shiny red peel. He or she will find out that my fruit is great tasting and healthy for him or her. Yes, yes, you could be all these things for a season, the older apple tried to reply. But once again, the little apple broke in. Why? After he he or she has finished eating the fruit and all that is left in my core, he or she will, will, oh, they will probably throw my core in the trash. I don't think the little apple wants to be in the trash. What do you think? Yes, replied the older apple. That is what your life could be like. You could be. If you decide to live for the moment and choose to reap the quick rewards, whatever do you mean? What other life is there? asked the little apple. I have been trying to tell you if you just slow down for a moment and listen. The older apple calmly explained, when the winds come, you may be shaken from the tree and fall to the ground. It is then that your shiny red skin will keep you from splitting apart and becoming applesauce. Once on the ground, a hungry bird or squirrel may find you and carry you away from the base of the tree. Once you've met its needs and filled its stomach, it shall leave your core and a little fruit behind. Hmm. That doesn't sound a bit better, the little apple screeched. In fact, it sounds worse. Please allow me to finish, the older apple said sternly. Then your real work begins. Once you are left on the ground, the rest of your fruit shall slowly rot and blend into the ground. It is at this point that your seeds shall be buried into the earth. For a period of time, the seeds will remain in the ground. But then ever so slowly, something wonderful begins to happen. The seeds begin to sprout, breaking through the dirt. The sunlight and the rain help the sprout to grow into a small tree. Within a few seasons, the tree shall grow big enough to start producing apples of its own. From then on, the tree shall produce hundreds of apples each season. So you see, little apple, there is much more that you can be. As the winds picked up, you could see both the apples swinging in the breeze, hoping beyond hope to fall to the ground and begin their life's work. Our lives can be very much like the little apples. We can choose to live only for the moment, fulfilling our own plans and desires. The plans we have for our lives may be good, But God always has a better plan for us if we're patient. It will take time, and we have to listen to what he softly tells us. We can surround ourselves with many things to make us comfortable, but alas, these things only last for a season. Or we could use the time, talent, and money God gives us for his purpose and glory. It is only then that we can reach our full potential. So you're like the little apple, and you want to be the very best that you can. And it's not always whether or not you get the newest game or the fanciest clothes, but you have to listen. And sometimes God will speak to you and have different plans for you. Sometimes he speaks through your parents 
or teachers. So there's so much more that you can be. I just want you to keep listening for all the things that God wants you to do with your life. Okay? All right. You may go to Children's Church. so much for another beautiful day. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Help us to quiet our minds and open our hearts to hear your word this morning. Lord, we come to you today with gratitude for all you have and will provide for us. Bless these tithes and offerings. Be with us as we go through our lives this week. Help us to keep our hearts and our eyes on you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.
<clears throat> the choir is prepared to sing as an act of godly worship. Create in me a clean heart, O God. The role of the choir is a priestly one in that the text is presented to God on behalf of all worshipers here today. Therefore, we invite you to follow the text on the screen, and as the choir sings, make it your personal commitment to Almighty God as an act of your personal worship.
How beautiful that is. Thank you so much, choir, for leading us in worship. We have worshipped already, haven't we? Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. But Jesus said, do not tell him to stop. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. What a message for our society today. Whoever is not against us is for us. That is certainly not the current theme of our society these days, is it? Never in my memory has our society been so fragmented as it is today. It is us against them, whoever us or them may happen to be. It doesn't matter who us is. We're against them. You have Democrats against Republicans and illegal immigrants against native-born descendants of immigrants You have Christians against Muslims and and, uh, fundamentalists against scientists. You pick your side and you get ready for a battle. That's what our society has fallen into of late. Cal and Rose Samra, in their book titled Holy Hilarity, tells about a certain Baptist church in Atlanta who used to have a problem with parking. And from their description of this church, they did not name the church, but from their description of their church, I think I know where it is. And knowing the pastor there, this story makes perfect sense to me. And and you'll you'll get an idea as we go along. Some of you probably know where this church is as well. I, I think you do. You see, nearby this particular Baptist church, there are two other churches. There's a Catholic cathedral. And then there's an Episcopal cathedral very close by. And so, as you can imagine, parking is hard to come by. And since the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church met for worship earlier than the Baptist Church, the Catholics and Episcopalians would always park their cars in the Baptist parking lot. And so when the Baptists arrived for worship, there was no place for them to park. But the Baptists came up with a very inventive solution. You see, the members of the Baptist church spent one Sunday morning putting bumper stickers on all the cars in the parking lot that that proclaimed, I'm proud to be a Southern Baptist. (laughs) Can't you just see all of those Catholic and Episcopal cars advertising, I'm proud to be a Southern Baptist? That's tongue in cheek, of course, but in in too many things, it's it's us, us against them. At least things were better than they used to be. In Arthur Herman's book titled How the Scots Invented the Modern World, he tells about an incident between two of our most august groups, the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians. He said that when an Episcopalian uh, missionary tried to preach in the Carolinas during the early years of its settlement, the local Presbyterians disrupted his services 
rioted while he preached, started a pack of dogs fighting inside the church, loosed his horse, stole his church key, refused him food and drink, and gave two barrels of whiskey to his congregation. (laughs) And then later, having escaped and returned to civilization, this missionary wrote these words about his Presbyterian adversaries. He said they delight in their low in their uh, their present low loudish heathenish hellish life and seemed not desirous of changing it. I don't know about you but that's not exactly the picture I have in my mind of the presbyterians that I know. Times change. And sometimes it changes for the better. Teacher said John We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. And Jesus said, do not tell him to stop. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Well, there he goes again. Isn't that just like Jesus? Doesn't he know that we like to huddle in our own little cliques? The suburbs and the inner city, the black and the white, the Hispanic and the Anglo, the gays and the straights, tattooed or not, religious or atheist and wealthy and everybody else. How dare Jesus ruin our fun? We enjoy looking down on people who are not like us, don't we? We enjoy looking down on people who look at life differently than we do and and who have, have a different set of values than we have. We like that. But Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say something bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. You know, it's the most natural thing in the world for people to prefer to hang out with people who are like them. Sociologists even have a name for it. It's called ethnocentrism. The fact is that people prefer to be with people who are like themselves. In fact, when we are around people who are different from us, we are uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable when we're around people who are different from us, especially at first until we realize that they're not so different after all. And it makes no difference how different they are. A few years back, when everyone dressed in their Sunday best to go to church, anybody coming in wearing blue jeans would have made some people uncomfortable. But today in churches where... Casual dress is the norm. A person dressed in a, in a suit might make people uncomfortable. And it's always been that way. I just finished a novel uh, set in the 1850s in Victorian England. And, uh, um, and, and, and there was a character in there who scandalized society because she was wearing a, a straight dress with bloomers instead of the, the, the hoop dresses that were that were in style at those days. That was the the norm in those days. She scandalized the queen. She felt uncomfortable around her because she was different. We like people who are like us, don't we? 
who look like us, who dress like us, who come from the same kind of families, who have the same kind of values that we have. That's natural for us to feel that way. In the church of the mid to late 1900s, the main challenge that ethnocentrism presented, of course, was racial. And in many ways, it still is. Dr. Harold Porter a Presbyterian pastor in California had some things to say about his experience during that era of the mid-1900s. He tells us that California at that time was, was growing by leaps and bounds. And right next to his church, there was a, a whole city that had developed within a decade with a population of, of around 14,000 people. 14,000 new residents had come in very quickly right next to his church. However, there was not one single African-American person living in that population of 14,000. You see, they were excluded because of a law that the realtors had supported. And in essence, this law said that anyone should be able to sell their house only to the people that they decided were acceptable. And you can guess whom these Californians decided were unacceptable. They excluded all African Americans from their community. Well, Dr. Porter said that their local group of ministers decided that something needed to be done about this, and after several attempts at persuasion failed to get any action, it was decided that they would hold a press conference, <clears throat> which surprisingly got a lot of press. And then afterward, local realtors were angry with the ministerial association, and one realtor called Dr. Porter and said, why didn't you consult us before you went to press, to the press? And Dr. Porter replied, well, why didn't you check with us before you developed your racially prejudicial policy? And it was then that Dr. Porter said that he began to war his very first campaign button. And it read like this, would you let your daughter marry a realtor? <laughs> No offense, Dottie. <laughs> no offense, Barbara. <laughs> he even sent a, a button to his father back in Michigan who himself was a realtor. And thankfully, California's law assuring equal housing opportunity became a reality a year later. So it's normal for people to prefer people who are just like them. But the problem is that Jesus wants us to be accepting and embracing of all people. And a big problem comes when discomfort turns to opposition and even persecution. You have heard me mention before Bishop Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen was a Catholic bishop known for his outstanding preaching and especially his work on TV and radio years ago. And Sheen once told a wonderful story about denominational rivalry. He said that when he lived in New York City, he had to walk from his residence on 38th Street to his office near the Empire State Building. And each day he would pass by the old home of J.P. Morgan, and the ultra-wealthy banker. Well, the Lutherans had bought J.P. Morgan's home and were adding five, a five-story uh, building for office space there. And on one particular day, one of the workers w was 
looking down and, and recognized Fulton Sheen as he walked by. And he yelled down to him and said, What do you think of us Catholics putting up a building for these lousy Methodists? And Sheen yelled back and said, They're not Methodists, they're Lutherans, and they're our friends. And so the worker looked up at another one on the fifth floor and shouted, All right, boys, put in the rivets. <laughs> Bishop Sheen, of course, was making a little joke. But my friends, there is no joke about all the mischief that has been done throughout history in the name of religion. Even in the name of Christianity. We are sickened by the barbaric actions of ISIS these days. But folks, let me tell you something. They are no more barbaric than some of the atrocities that have been committed by Protestants and Roman Catholics against one another and against others throughout our ages. Our history has its own share of beheadings and hangings and lynchings and torture and death and a whole list of other atrocities that are unspeakable. And a lot of it has been done in the name of Christ. And oh, how he grieves when that happens. And it still happens today. I heard recently about some violence that took place at a Christian college. What started out as an exchange of words snowballed into a fist fight, but the ironic thing about it was that the issue that they were fighting over was a poster that urged students not to fight on campus. The fight was over who would put up the poster. (laughs) In another story that comes from the Erie County, New York Correctional Facility, James Conlon and Lawrence Mule began arguing over a a bag of potato chips, and before long, fists were uh, were flying, and they were in in a huge brawl until a man standing nearby stepped in to break up the fight. And what's ironic about that was that Conlon and Mule are prison guards, and the man who broke up the fight was an inmate. My friends, one of our duties as followers of Jesus Christ is to bring peace to the world. We proclaim ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, the one who has been called the Prince of Peace. And here is what our Scripture calls us to think about today. What happens when we can't get along among ourselves? My friends, we are those whom Christ calls to be a light to a world of darkness. And if rather than bringing light, we just bring more darkness, then what hope is there in the world? Jesus said to his disciples, for whoever is not against us is for us. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be a unifying force in human society, not a dividing force. And it seems that our nation and our world are more fragmented today than it has ever been. And and we see it everywhere we look. Government's just one example. We've got liberals and conservatives and fundamentalists all over the world seem to be at one another's throats. 
in the immortal words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Pope Francis just this week spoke to Congress and spoke quite eloquently. And one of the first things that he said to them was, be less partisan. Be more willing to compromise. Do unto each other as you would have them do unto you. And then immediately after he leaves the podium, we have Democrats and Republicans getting in front of the camera to spin his words in such a way that they have him sticking it to the other party. And I thought I was the only preacher that people didn't listen to. There was an ironic story in the Associated Press a few months ago, speaking of Pope Francis, and it read like this. It said, tens of thousands of people packed St. Peter's Square in Vatican City to, to hear Pope Francis pray for peace in Ukraine. And the ceremony was topped by the release of two white peace doves. Unfortunately, a seagull and a crow attacked the symbols of peace. True story, folks. Isn't that, is that not a fitting metaphor for life in today's world? A man is praying for peace, attempting to release into the world a spirit of peace through these two doves, a symbol of peace, only to have his efforts attacked, physically attacked. Who will show us the way out of this situation of estrangement and fragmentation? I hope it will be the people of God. Our lesson for today shows the disciples acting territorial. They were jealously guarding their claim to represent Jesus. And on one level, this is quite understandable. Because in their day and time, disciples were often named after their rabbi. They were responsible for carrying on the rabbi's legacy, and they were identified not as themselves, but by the name of their teacher. Thus, we have the name Christian, the Christ ones. And that's the nature of the relationship between disciples and rabbis. And it was an exclusive relationship. It would have been an invasion for someone else to use the name and the teachings of a particular rabbi if that person did not have the authority to do so. And so the disciples of Jesus encountered this man using the name of Jesus to preach and to cast out demons when he was not authorized to do so. And this offended the disciples. So John told Jesus what they had done. They told the man to stop. And it was not that the disciples found anything, any misuse of the name of Jesus on the part of this man, and, and they knew of no personal sin that would bring disrepute to the message he proclaimed. They just thought that he shouldn't be doing this because he wasn't authorized. You see, the disciples felt that they owned the franchise on Jesus. But Jesus said to the disciples, stop hindering the man, for no one can perform a miracle in my name and then speak evil of me publicly. And then Jesus' acceptance of the man was reinforced when he said, whoever is not against us is for us.
My friends, even though this man did not follow Jesus in exactly the same way that the disciples did, he nevertheless followed Jesus. And in verse 41, he, Jesus broadened his words to include actions besides just casting out demons when he said, even one who performs the smallest act of hospitality in my name, like giving someone a drink of water, because they belong to me, they will not lose their reward. You see, Jesus had no interest in awarding exclusive franchises to the word of God. Instead, he, his, his desire was to develop relationships of love and acceptance with all people. He wasn't interested in causing divisions between them. And we as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ are called to bring Christ's peace to the world. And so how can we bring peace if we ourselves are at strife? Some of you may know the story behind the Christ of the Andes. In 1899, the people of, the, of Argentina and Chile were, were poised for war. And then a, a bishop in Argentina appealed for peace between the two countries. And then a bishop in Chile took up the cause and the dispute was submitted to King Edward the, VII, whose decision settled the quarrel. And all of the unused guns from both of the countries were melted down to create this, this colossal statue of Jesus erected between these two countries as a reminder that Jesus came to bring peace. That, my friend, is our legacy. As Christ followers, that is our legacy. To follow the Prince of Peace and to bring peace. May we always be true to the Spirit of Christ and may we represent peace with everyone we meet. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn, number 478, Seek Ye First. And what a wonderful way to end the service about peace. Seeking the kingdom of God is what we are called to do. It is what we are called to be, seeking God's kingdom. And when we seek God's kingdom first, we will seek the ways of Christ, which are ways of peace. Let us sing together.
every week we gather in this place to find peace. Each week words and music offer and celebrate peace with the hope of instilling it within us. Now, take the peace that you have found here back out into the world with you. Renewed in our faith and inspired to act, let us be the peacemakers that the world aches for. And by being peacemakers, let us find the peace that we long for. Go in peace. Make peace. Be at peace. Amen.